Welcome to The Gods We Belong To, an urban fantasy noir podcast. The Gods We Belong To tells one continuous story in order, and it's important to start at the beginning. So, first timers, it's back to episode one for you. Now, my faithful friends, take a beat, take a breath, and let's check in with Alex. Chapter 4 I gotta admit, I'm looking forward to tomorrow. Seems like working with Detective Mars might not be so scary after all. But right now, tomorrow morning seems like a world away. I've still got a midnight meeting with Hermes, Athena, and Artemis to deal with, which means navigating who knows what kind of toxic family bullshit. That said, I could really use a nap. So it's back to home base, that cozy little bungalow where I finally let myself enjoy a pipeful of Odin's gift before passing out on the couch. I wake up to the unmistakable scent of that same potent smoke and jolt upright, afraid I somehow set my stash ablaze. But there it is, snug and secure in its canister. And there, snug in the plush recliner, feet up, smoldering pipe in hand, is my employer-slash-great-grandfather. Alex, you're up, he observes, his words wrapped in smoke. Nothing gets by you, does it? I glance at the clock. It's 11 p.m. My alarm would have woken me in a few minutes even if Odin hadn't, so I've still got time. The address Hermes gave me for tonight's meetup isn't far. So, Odin says, first impressions? He leans forward and offers me the pipe. I accept and draw deep, trying to think of how to answer. Come now, he prompts, as I hold and then release a lungful of smoke. Tell me how you found my Mediterranean cousins. Zeus is... I fall silent, fishing for the right words. Yes, Odin smiles. He certainly is. I mean, he's not actually that bright, is he? No. Still, do not underestimate him. He may not be wise or deep, but he is wily, bold, and ruthless. Which, I guess, explains the rest of them. The whole family is like something out of a soap opera. Sleazy patriarch, embittered matron, spiteful infighting kids. Essentially accurate. They have been at one another's throats for millennia. It is simply who they are. I nod, reaching for the pipe and taking another pull. I have no idea what I'm in for at tonight's secret cabal, but I figure the calmer I am, the better. And what about the lovely Miss Arissa Mars? Odin raises an eyebrow, the only visible one. Hmm, I purse my lips, considering the puzzle of Detective Mars as the blissful and tranquil effects of the smoke take hold. Before I know it, I'm just thinking about Orissa, staring into space like a moonstruck moron. I see, Odin eyes me with a wolfish grin. Remember who her father is. Oh, her you warned me about, 
but Loki. Are you still sore about that, Alex? No. No, of course not. It's, it's all just deeply disturbing water under the bridge. That's the spirit, he says encouragingly and utterly without irony. No point dwelling on the past. Right, not with the potential for so much fresh disaster on the horizon. Speaking of which, I rise to my feet, using the coffee table as leverage. I'm due at Athena's place pretty soon, and I could use a shower. I turn towards the bathroom. I'm sure she'd appreciate it at least. You're welcome to... And Odin has vanished, and I am talking to thin air. Typical. After a long, hot shower, I'm wending my way up the switchbacks of Mulholland Drive and into the rarefied air of the Hollywood Hills. It's like a whole different world up here, far above the seething bio-machinery of L.A., the choked, pulsing arteries of steel and flesh, the dreams and the desperation. I pull up in front of Athena's place at 11.55. It's modern, austere, not an ionic column in sight. Odin's blend is really hitting its stride as I step out of the car. This stuff would make an insurance seminar feel otherworldly, so you can imagine its effects in a situation that is very actually otherworldly. Me? I find it calming. Dreamlike. And when your waking life is stranger than any dream, sometimes you're better off floating through the strangest bits. So, sufficiently floaty, I approach the imposing slab of a front door. To the right, there's a black silk rope knotted at the end, coming out of a chest-high hole in the wall. It takes a solid tug, but my effort is rewarded by the ringing of an actual bell. You gotta give it to her, Athena does not deal in half measures. The bell tolls musically for a few seconds, then it's joined by the shift and clank of what I assume is a very sturdy locking mechanism. The heavy door opens and Athena looks me up and down. Punctual. She sniffs and cracks a sly smile. If not sober, there's no mistaking Odin's smoke of choice. Come in, Alex. She pushes the door shut behind me, and I follow Athena through a large open foyer into an even larger high-ceilinged living room. The other members of our conspiracy have already arrived. Hermes is reclining feet up on a white chaise lounge, drink in hand. Artemis stands gazing out an enormous panorama window, very literally looking down on the vast sprawl of humanity below. Alex! Hermes exclaims. You're here. Now we can get started. Would you like a drink? I think he's fine, Athena snarks. Yeah, I say. I I'm good. Thanks, though. As you like, Hermes concedes, rising to his feet and moving to join Artemis at the window. He stands there for a long moment, gazing out at the sea of lights. There's a definite family resemblance, Hermes and Artemis, but it's all on the surface. The inhuman perfection and grace of them. The kind, clever glint in his deep, coppery eyes couldn't be more unlike the glacial chill in hers. Still, somehow, beautiful, he says, half to himself. What's that? I ask. The world. So much of it battered, bruised, and broken. And yet still, stubbornly. Beauty. That's 
may be an easier view to take from up here, I reply. Not always so beautiful when you're down in it. I don't mean to sound bitter. Truth is, Hermes seems like he cares about humanity more than any of his kin, and more than most of mine. Point taken, Alex, he concedes. I do have the luxury of time and distance. And you seem determined to waste as much of that time as possible, Artemis jabs, ours as well as your own. Our sister is, as ever, more thorns than rose, Athena says. But perhaps we should get to the marrow. No doubt Alex would love to hear you wax poetic about the dark and light of it all until dawn's rosy fingers reach us, but humans need sleep, and he has an early morning ahead of him. She's not wrong, I admit. Wait, how the hell do you know that? Athena just arches an eyebrow as if to say it's ridiculous for me to even ask. Which it is. <laughs> Fucking gods. So, about Apollo, I prompt. Our brother has become a problem, Hermes says, sounding already weary of the topic. Our brother has always been a problem, Athena says wearily. Apollo is a creature of extremes, Hermes agrees, even more than most of us, radiant as he is ruthless. More importantly, he has the gift or burden of prophecy. Which is it, I ask? Gift or burden? Depends who you ask, Hermes replies. And when? Athena adds. Hermes nods, then continues. The point is, our brother is, from time to time, struck with foresight. There's no warning, no schedule. The visions overtake him, not unlike a seizure. And then they pass, leaving knowledge of things to come. Knowledge that has always served us well. That's just how it is. How it's always been. So what's changed? I ask. About a year ago, he had a particularly intense series of episodes. Several within a single day. Which is a lot. Once or twice a year was the normal, so yes, that was a lot. And then? Then nothing. Not a word, not a hint. He simply stopped telling us anything. I assume you asked. We'd never had to ask before, but we did everything we could to pry it out of him, what he'd seen, and no matter how we begged or bribed, he would not answer us. He became sullen, distant. He withdrew more and more from our company, finally disappearing entirely into his human persona. Sounds like he's running. He didn't run far enough, Artemis adds. But running from what? What has him so scared? Athena asks. That's where you come in. We need to know about Apollo's visions. And why do you expect I'll succeed where you and your entire family have failed? You are uniquely qualified, Alex, Hermes says. And our brother has no history with you, no grudges, issues, etc. Also, his arrogance will make him underestimate you. Play to that, and you may be able to coax the truth out of him, or at least a usable shred of it. 
so that's the job. They want me to verbally pickpocket a god. It's a compelling challenge, and call me arrogant, but right now, I'm feeling up for it. After all, I did get Lucifer himself to spill some pretty important beans. Beans that helped save, well, existence. That dose of dark energy I got from Odin let me do more than see gods. It let me sense if they were lying. Handy trick in an interrogation, and with the help of Detective Mars, it shouldn't be too hard to wrangle a little FaceTime with the captive Apollo. Fuck it. As long as I'm on loan to these Hellenic lunatics, I might as well do something interesting. And the whole thing about caring if he's innocent or not? I ask. Nonsense, Athena confirms. Zeus and the rest want the same thing we do, to know the substance of Apollo's secret visions, only they're too proud and foolish to admit their need. Instead, they obfuscate, tell half-truths, and give you a sham assignment in hopes that your digging will unearth the knowledge they desire. But you three... what? Trust me? Trust is earned, Alex, Hermes says. But we are not cruel or foolish enough to send you blind into danger on the off chance your fumbling will hit the mark. Thanks, guys. I, I feel all kinds of warm and fuzzy about this. And I assume you want me to keep whatever I do discover between us? He nods. The picture gets a little clearer. Still, I wouldn't be me if I didn't feel the need to press an uncomfortable issue. Just so I understand, whether or not he's guilty as charged, I'm guessing it wouldn't be entirely out of character for your golden brother to kill, maim, violate, or otherwise cruelly inconvenience innocent humans. Am I right? You are, Hermes affirms grimly. So the fact that he's definitely guilty of centuries of rape and murder, that's somehow not the problem here? It is most certainly a problem, Alex but not the most pressing one. No, he admits. It's not a great idea to cop an attitude with a god, let alone three. I know that. I do. And yet... If Apollo's behavior is such a fucking problem, why didn't any of you do anything about it? I ask slash accuse with more anger and volume than is probably wise. I mean, aren't you supposed to be all about justice? I ask Athena, who is visibly disturbed. How can you let this happen, century after century, and do nothing? I don't care if he is family. What possible reason could you have for... Alex! Hermes cuts me off sharply. That's enough. You are treading recklessly into matters you don't understand. Then educate me. The three gods in the room look at each other with raised eyebrows. After a long moment, first Athena and then Artemis nod their heads slightly. With that, Hermes turns back to me. Okay, Alex. Here's the deal. As you may already know, our family used to fight. A lot. And when we did, it wasn't just us. We had a way of dragging large numbers of humans into our spats and a lot of them ended up littering battlefields. Generations of promise reduced to a scavenger's supper. Yeah, I reply. I think I read about that. I'm sure you did, 
Hermes chuckles. Anyway, Zeus decided that the only way to stop the cycle of war and retribution was an enforced family-wide truce. No member of our family may act against any other under any circumstance. It has kept the peace for many centuries. And it means you can't do shit to stop Apollo, I interrupt, no matter how big a douchebag he is. But Zeus can totally spring him if he wants to? Yes, it's all in the language, Alex, Athena says. The fine points. We're not allowed to harm or hinder each other, but helping is entirely acceptable. Okay, let's say, just for kicks, that Apollo didn't do this. I know you guys don't really care. Hermes raises a hand as if in protest, but seems to think better of it. But Orissa cares, and you seem to care about her. Will you at least help us try to make sense of this mess? For instance, I turn to Artemis, what makes you so sure your brother's not our guy? I know, you feel it, but I need more than that, more than just a twinsy gut instinct. How the hell does that crime scene make sense? With all you've seen, all you know to be possible, you still ask that question? Artemis replies icily. Fine, but what you three really care about is what your brother's hiding. And you want my help because you're not allowed to fuck with him, but I am? He's good, Artemis says to her siblings, only needs moderate hand-holding. Thanks. I live only to serve. I miss the days when humans said things like that with sincerity, she says, with sincerity. They still do, sister, Hermes smirks. Just not to you. Artemis shoots him a look as sharp as any arrow. His smile only widens. Well, Alex, Hermes turns to me. Are you in? Yeah, I reply. I'll dig out your brother's secrets for you. But this goes above and beyond my regular contracted services. This is specialized, high-skill, high-risk work. Let's talk compensation. Artemis rolls her eyes. Athena cracks a very slight smile, but Hermes, without a moment's hesitation, launches into negotiations. What did you have in mind? I honestly have no idea. I mean, I could ask for more money. Money is always useful, but the truth is Odin pays me plenty, and I live cheap. Small apartment, nothing fancy. I've blown through more than enough cash to know I can't spend myself happy so I keep it simple. It suits me, less to clean up, less to worry about. No, money is not what I need from these three. This requires a different kind of currency. Favors, I say, after a moment's consideration. To be named later. One from each of you. They look at each other. Hmm. Artemis purses her lips, then relaxes. Sounds fair. It does? I almost stammer. I mean, yes, it does. Why? What did you think I'd ask for? Oh, take your pick, Athena waves her hand, as though indicating a vast array of options. Special powers, magic weapons and armor, fantastical animal companions, kingdoms, fortunes, women, men, fame, glory, skill... 
M&M's with the brown ones picked out, Hermes cuts in. They all laugh, even Artemis. I do too. Damn, I say. Should have aimed higher. Now, Alex, Hermes says with a smile. No renegotiating once terms have been set. Favors it is, and count yourself lucky. A god's favor is no small thing, let alone three. The man's got a point. I drive back to the bungalow feeling rather lucky indeed. Three divine favors in pocket. So I've got that going for me at least. This has been The Gods We Belong To, Book 2, Chapter 4. The Gods We Belong To is written, performed, edited, and produced by Dan Goldstein. Theme music is I'll Drive by Daniel Birch. Additional music, Say It Again, I'm Listening, Roaming the Streets at Night. Glass Bells Dancing with a Synthesizer, and Apollo by Daniel Birch, and The True Entity of Life by Daniel Birch and Ben Pegley. Our spectacular episode art is by the talented and beautiful Jen Goldstein. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and help spread the word. Tell a friend, tell an enemy. Post, tweet, rent a series of billboards on a lonely desert highway. Five-star ratings are particularly helpful and appreciated. However you do it, thank you. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Gods We Belong To, and online at thegodswebelongto.net. Chapter 5 is coming in just one week, so... Until then, don't do anything Alex wouldn't do.